Hello and welcome. My guest today is Nicole Benham. Nicole is a founder and a journalist, and she is the creator of Beyond the Interview. She's also the creator of Beyond with Nicole, a podcast she recently launched where she's interviewed people like Chris Voss, Tom Bilyeu, and Robert Greene. And in this conversation, we spoke about turning friends into mentors, how Naval Ravikant spoke at one of her events, overcoming insecurities, reconciling friendships, and what she would make her speech at the Oscars. What I really admire about Nicole is her ability to make connections, her ability to get the best out of, of people. And we spoke about how she's been able to do that. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation if you're interested in connections, spotting talent, trying to get deep and understand people at a deeper level. Nicole's an absolute beast at this. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Nicole Benham. And if you do, share it with somebody you think will enjoy it as well. Text message, Instagram, make your Instagram story or potentially tweet about it. Send it to somebody you think will enjoy it. That would make me very happy. And let's get right into the show with Nicole. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have so many questions and so many places I want to dive into. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I've been watching you for, I feel like, six months. (laughs) Six months? I think so, around then. Yeah. Well... Let's start with you and let's start with your mom wanted you to be a pharmacist and your dad wanted you to be a paralegal. Oh my God. Yeah. So, you know, Persian culture is very interesting. They really value marriage and family. And so my parents wanted me to have a job that would let me take time off and be a mom. So my dad thought paralegal and my mom thought pharmacist. Um, pharmacist has a little prestige because when you get that, when you get that degree, they, you know, they call you doctor. And so I was, I think it was just like a Persian thing. Like a lot of my Persian friends became pharmacists and it's just a a regular job. You can go back after you've taken time off. Uh, but I was very different, obviously. And what do they think about what you do today? They think it's cool. They had no idea that you can even do something like this. Also, my path was very different. You know what I mean? I, I was uh, I was a journalist. I was working for Hollywood Reporter. The pay for a journalist is not very good. Podcaster, it's a little different. If you grow, uh, you can make money. But um, but yeah, I, I became a personality on different social media apps. And so I was able to grow wherever I went, whether it was like TikTok or Clubhouse, which was huge for me. Um, or Twitter, which also helped me a lot in the crypto scene. So uh, my parents are just like, wow, we had no idea. And then when they look at the things that you're doing today, is it like with pride? Is it like understanding? Is it How is it perceived by your culture in general and your family? I think I think they do look at it with pride, but I also think... I think they want me to have a family and they're like, why are you not more focused on that? But to be honest with you, I don't think that I was ready to meet the person 
that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with because I had to become this first. You know what I mean? You have What to is this? Just, you know, happy with where I'm at, confident. I know what my values are. Um, knowing what my values are, huge. You know what I mean? Because when you're in your 20s, they change so much. You know, you think you like certain types of people. You think you look up to certain types of people and then you meet them and you're like, you know what? My values are not the same as them. I value uh, family and friends and sleeping on time and reading books. And I don't want to stay up and party all the time. And I don't want to um, go to superficial outings and I'm not just going out to take pictures. I mean, that's, you know, that's something you learn in L.A. <laughs> You were raised in LA, right? I was raised in LA. So it's like the things you're talking about of what you value versus what the culture around you values is entirely different. Yeah, it is it is entirely different. And most people don't realize that the things that you're raised to think that you want are not the things that you actually want, right? I mean, we, we all had to learn that. I'm sure you went through some version of that too. Definitely. What did that look like for you? I think... I was raised to be a little more passive, to uh, not ask too many questions, not have too many opinions, um, you know, stay within certain boundaries. Um, I mean, my mom was very educated, so I was still a big learner, but I didn't put myself out there a lot. I didn't start a podcast until much later in my life. Um, because think, you were fearful, right? Fearful, fearful, but not in the way that you'd think. Not like, oh my God, I'm scared to do what I want to do. It, it was more like I'm scared of how people are going to perceive me because uh, I was I was just raised under the impression that like women aren't supposed to be like that, which was strange. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I talked about this on my own podcast, I think in the episode with Tom Bilyeu, but I was raised to believe like you're either going to go after a family life and have a career like a pharmacist or paralegal, or you're going to be this like boss babe. And now you see, don't you see this conversation emerging on like TikTok and Twitter about like masculine and feminine roles and all this stuff so that conversation was happening much earlier for me and you see even like sophia amoruso gets so much shit for the term boss babe um because it implies that women can do it all which was not her intention you know what i mean like she's just saying yes you can do you can do anything that you want to do but no human being can do everything all at once by themselves it has nothing to do with men and women but you know, we had the gender roles thing. And so, you know, in in the female arena of that, it's like you're supposed to be like nurturing and kind and not ask too many questions and do what you're supposed to do and be a mom and all these things. And I was like, okay, well, so I guess someone like that wouldn't like have a podcast or be too out there or posting all the time, things like that. Um, and it, it was very cultural, you know, it was very cultural for me um, until I made new friends and I found new role models and uh, 
I became friends with people that I really looked up to and turned them into my mentors. And my entire life changed after that. Yeah, that is something that I wanted to talk to you about because you have this great quote here, which is like, my journey has been whole, my journey has been finding people I hold in high regard and turning them into mentors. And I'm like, oh, wow, this woman gets it. This yeah. woman, this is what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And, You're doing it. And it's like, who, who was I before this? Like, no one, no, why would anyone give me the time of day? But yeah. now it's like those people that I really looked up to and wanted to talk to are now texting me. And it's just like, whoa, what's happening here? And how can I give this gift to more people? Do you have any insight on how we can do that? Yeah. First of all, I think the common thread between the two of us is curiosity. Because once you have that and you're not afraid to go ask people questions, first of all, people love to talk about themselves. And you're giving them a gift by asking questions, not favors, not asking them for favors, but asking them questions that are insightful, that are deep, because that people want to be helpful people want to know that what they say has value and when you give them that opportunity it sort of strokes their ego a bit and it lets them it reminds them of who they are and so i think that you know being a podcaster and and doing what we do gives anybody that gift it doesn't matter if they're just starting or if they're at the top of their game like they love that no matter what the other thing that has been really helpful for me and how i got I don't know if you know Chris Voss. Yeah, Chris Voss, um, how he became my mentor was really interesting. So the the advice that I give people is don't approach people with your hand out, meaning don't go in with an ask. Go in with value. They need to know that they're going to get something from the interaction, not that you need something from the interaction. So... I, I was going through a negotiation that I needed help with. And I'm crazy. Like, I'm not like, oh, let me go get advice from a lawyer. I'm like, no, no, no. Who's the number one negotiator on this earth? I want to talk to them. So I find Chris Voss. I remember that masterclass commercial, commercial and I'm like, I'm going to find this man. So I added him on Instagram and I was like, okay, in what area does this person need help that I can help with? I worked in digital marketing and social media for a little bit. I understand, uh, you know, how to make engaging posts and how to, you know, move tweets onto Instagram and, and how to hashtag and all that stuff, how to make custom posts. So I messaged him and I was like, hey, um, I love your content, but I feel like your Instagram page isn't really reflective of who you are because you're this big author and masterclass instructor. Your page should look like Ray Dalio's page or Adam Grant's page, all these people, I, was, I started listing these authors that I knew that he knew. Um, and he's like, he's like, okay, good to know, whatever. And then I saw he like made a typo or something, or maybe his team made a typo in one of his posts. And I sent it to him and I'm like, oh, did you mean to make that? Did you mean to write it like that? And he's like, you're not gonna give up, are you? And I go, no, but not because I want your money. And he goes, okay, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. So we set up a call and I got on the call and I explained to him like, here's what your page looks like. Here's what I think it should look like. Here's how I can help, blah, 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 blah. He's like, okay, now what do you want from me? And I'm like, well, I'm going through negotiation and I wanna do this, this, and this. Um, and I really just don't know how to approach this person or what to say. And he's like, all right, 
I'll train you for two weeks. You do my social media for two weeks. I'm like, okay, perfect. So we had that arrangement and it went really well. At the same time, I was growing on this app called Clubhouse. And I was like, Chris, I don't know if you have time, but I'm on this app called Clubhouse and it's growing. Everybody's on it. Everybody in tech, all the VCs, all the founders. It was in the middle of the pandemic. We were all at home. And he's like, yeah, why not? I'll try it. We do the room. It overflows. There's 6,000 people in it. Like people had to do an overflow room. So like someone took their phone, attached it to the other phone of theirs that they had, and then broadcast it as like the overflow room if you couldn't get into the main room. And we had like everyone from Andreessen Horowitz in there. Jared Leto was listening. Um, I mean, any everybody was on there. Neil Strauss came. Um, it was the craziest thing. And so it went really well. And I was like, we should make this a weekly thing. And so we started hosting it on Clubhouse and our popularity grew together. I also was doing um, comedy rooms with my friend Leah Lamar. Uh, and so, you know, my relationship with him grew over time. And I told him one day because, I, you know, I did help him with social media far beyond that. But I also got advice from him about everything. Like I, I could like have an argument with my mom and I would be like, Chris, what do I say to this? You know what I mean? Or like an argument with a girlfriend or an argument with whoever. And he would just help me navigate the conversation. So I became very skilled. I told him one day, I'm like, you know, you're basically my mentor. He's like, yeah, I guess I am. And that's the other thing people don't realize is that you don't have to necessarily ask someone will you become my mentor because if I asked him that I don't think he would have said yes he would have been like this is a really big commitment but because I was providing so much value for him in so many ways I was hosting his show um, I was helping with his social media you know we were talking about different ways I I, I, I helped him get a, an interview with Jordan Peterson and his daughter I arranged so many different things for him because I really believed in him just because I had seen the results of what his work had done for me. I was just killing it because every piece of advice he gave me worked. Um, at the same time, I was doing in real life events and uh, I had become friends with Eric Weinstein on Clubhouse. I befriended Naval on Clubhouse. And I think, you know, everybody started noticing that people at that caliber would give me the time of day and then so they would give me the time of day. And it's incredible what that can do for somebody. You know, if somebody's in a position of, of uh, power, if they just help you out a little bit or they publicly give you some praise or they share one of your posts, like that means the world. Because I have a feeling the, the first time I invited Naval to one of my events, um, he told me, don't tell anyone I'm coming because he does have stalkers. So of course I respected that, I didn't tell anyone. And he's like, by the way, I don't really speak at events. And I go, okay, totally fair. And he gets to the event and, you know, he seems like super happy. Like, I don't think they threw events like that in, uh, in San Francisco. Um, my events are like parties. It's like a party mixed with a panel. So it's just a completely different vibe. And there's like catering and everything. Um, that's my Persian side. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> so, um, so he gets there and he's like, is that the guy who wrote Never Split the Difference? 
And it's funny because I told Chris that day, I was like, we need to be friends with Naval. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And meanwhile, Naval, you know, has so much respect for him and loves his book and all that. So I think he saw that like the caliber of people was really good. And he also got along with a lot of my friends. Um, a lot of my girlfriends were big fans of his too. Uh, or I had introduced uh, his work to them a while ago. So they were like really excited to be around him. And he just came up to me and he's like, I'll speak at the beginning. And I was wow. like, wow. And that changed the game for me because those pictures circulated everywhere. And I had video of it and everything. And so a lot of people that didn't give me the time of day, especially in the tech world, were reaching out to me after that being like, hey, when's your next event? Or like, I'd love to speak. And it's crazy how one person can do that for you. And Chris did it for me. Naval did it for me. Eric Weinstein did it for me. And I mean, there's a list of others as well. But those were the main three that that really helped me a lot. Wow. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. And what's crazy is that you had been doing interviews for people for years prior on the Hollywood red carpet, yeah. on Beyond the Interview. Like you had been building this and then all of a sudden, like 10 years later, it all hits at that time. How yeah. did it feel when 6,000 people are listening, the overflow rooms are going and it's like, in some sense, that's a culmination of all of the interviews that you've ever done to that moment. How did that feel? It felt really good. It felt... It felt like I was onto something different because when I was working at Hollywood Reporter, I think that looked more glamorous to people because I'm at the Oscars and I'm at the Golden Globes and it looks so fun. But the reality is the conversations on the red carpet were always limited. You can only talk about this, you know, the movies that are coming out or this movie premiere or what movie is nominated or other characters or other actors that are in that movie. Um, but I could never ask about anything deep because publicists would always grab my arm and be like, hey, we're not talking about that. Why did you want to grab something deep? Because I wanted to learn and I wanted to, I wanted to share takeaways with people because at the end of the day, I think everyone's just looking for answers to their own problems. That's the bottom line. Um, Neil Strauss said it perfectly where he said after all everyone's favorite subject is themselves and if you're a content creator the way that most of us are if you're putting yourself out there the one thing that'll change your content is realizing that people are largely thinking of themselves and so you know if if you address them in the work that you do instead of making it about like, well, I realized and I this and I that, like no one cares about that, you know? And and the reason why I believe people are, are reading books and consuming content is because they want answers for their own lives. And so if I'm talking to an actress or whoever on a red carpet, like, I don't really care. Who are you wearing? Or what was it like working on a 1980s set? It's like, no one gives a fuck, honestly. And... I want to I, I was I was on a lot of red carpets where like I wanted to ask about their divorce or their childhood or their drug problem or something where significant insight and perspective could be taken from the conversation. But I just wasn't allowed to talk about it. So my next thing was like, OK, 
how can I figure out a way to talk about this? Because I was limited to a red carpet. But it also would like take a while for me to work my way up and start doing feature stories in the Hollywood arena. You can't just talk to an A-list actor. You have to be working at a certain outlet, at a certain caliber, and that's it. Um, so I'm like, authors and up-and-coming comedians. So I started Beyond the Interview, and then I started reaching out to authors and up-and-coming comedians. Why'd you reach out to Andrew Schultz? Because he was up-and-coming comedian. <laughs> like, but he was he was really talented and very special and very like wholesome in a way because you could tell he had really good values like i listened to a lot of his podcasts where he was the guest and he was very honest about like his relationship with women and like what he wanted for his life and i want to be a husband and a dad and a this and a that but then he was also so funny he wasn't afraid to like go into certain areas of comedy even though his stuff would get taken down um I noticed him playing around with different formats. And so I reached out to him. I think at the time he had like 90,000 followers. And I'm like, hey, um, I'd love to interview. I saw that you're coming to LA. He's like, let's do it. So I meet him at the improv and we do this uh, this whole interview and I write a piece about him. And he goes, he goes, wow, no one's ever written about me before. That was really like powerful. You're very talented. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, that was that was an amazing article. A lot of people gave me good feedback and I'm like, wow. So that meant a lot to me. And then after that, um, I think I like helped him with a couple photo shoots and some things. Um, and then I started taking, when he said it's really powerful putting, like putting it into writing, I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I started doing like on the beyond the interview page, I did quotes where I would take like a person's face and then put their quote uh onto the post and then i would put the beyond the interview logo and so i did it for him and then he would share it on his page and then it would drive drive traffic traffic to our page and so i think i have a lot of comedians following that page because of him too um but i like him a lot because he did things differently like i remember a lot of comedians were not posting their comedy because they were afraid that people were going to steal their jokes he was like, you know what? Everybody has said no to me. Comedy Central, Netflix, HBO, everybody turned my special down. And he's like, I'm just going to put my special on YouTube and see how it does and run with it. And then he kept posting his jokes everywhere. And he got more and more popular. And his inspiration was that rapper Russ, who did the same thing with his music. And I think he changed the game for a lot of comedians because a lot of comedians followed his strategy and became big because of him he was the leader of that and then joe rogan had him on and then had him on again and then everyone started posting his clips and he blew up after that um but i think he's a really good role model for a lot of people and he's very honest and he does have very good values and like i remember he i think he was around like 36 or 37 when he popped off and he was so famous. I think he literally could have been with like tons of girls, any girl, you know what I mean? Like, and he chose to marry, uh, I mean, what he says is an amazing woman. She seems amazing. And I remember when I, when they first started dating, I saw him in a comedy club and I asked him about her 
and he's like, God, she's so brilliant. She's so incredible. It's like usually you, the first thing that you hear is, oh, she's so hot. She's so beautiful. Beauty is like a huge thing that's emphasized for women. It's like the number one status symbol for women, the way that wealth is for men. But I, I noticed immediately the way that he was talking about her was very different. Like she, obviously, she's very beautiful, but he held her in such a high regard. And I just noticed the way that he moved was very different. Like all of his friends work with him. It's kind of like how Adam Sandler brings all of his friends on his movies. Uh, Andrew's like that too. I mean, his friends produce his uh, produce his shows and and are on tour with him and do everything with him. And I think that the way that he lives his life is a good example for other people. It's so fascinating going to how you redistributed the content that he put out is something I've never thought about before. So comedians are probably overserved. The audience is probably overserved in terms of the video production of it and photos of them. But what about the readers who want to learn more about them? Yeah. And so you were able, and you did that in other places as well with Clubhouse where you're like, all right, well, everyone has read Chris Voss, but they haven't heard him in this setting. And that created a lot of demand. Yeah, it th did. That's an interesting insight that I've never really thought about, which is like, take something that is seen in one medium that's appreciated, loved, and bring it to a slightly different medium that might be underserved for the same content. Yes, you know what was a really good example of that? Um, it's funny because Chris was talking about this on Lex Friedman's podcast about a room that that him and I did. So the original room was FBI negotiation tactics with Chris Voss, which I'm going to bring back to Twitter. But um, there was this one day where I noticed that there were tensions on Clubhouse about like Israel-Palestine. And so I hit up Chris and I'm like, this is impossible to navigate. Like everybody's screaming at each other nobody's listening do you think we can navigate this like would that be interesting to you he's like yeah let's do it and he comes on and he helps each side by telling them that they have to repeat what they think the other person believes before they even get into what they believe wow. so already he creates you know a sense of one side feeling heard and understood before they're spoken to by someone who believes something completely different. And the conversation was much easier to navigate, was was fascinating to listen to, and it was not it had no vitriol the way the way the conversations had before. It was it was really it was really refreshing to see. Um and I think that's another show format I, I'd probably want to do with him where People with completely different beliefs come on and then learn how to communicate with each other because look at our politics, okay? It's insane. It's insane the way people communicate with each other and how much media profits off of it. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, and it's crazy too because <laughs> it highlights that on Twitter, that same conversation would be entirely different versus people hearing the voice of another person on a different side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, what did you notice by spending so much time on Clubhouse about how people communicate with the voice versus what people communicate through text? 
voice is more powerful and you can also control the scenario a little bit more with voice. Also, people will type anything over a keyboard and act like they would say that to your face when they wouldn't. They just wouldn't. And they Why do people do that? Because it's rewarded. You know what I mean? Like if you clap back at someone, you could ratio anybody. Think about it. You could ratio anybody. And, and people love a good internet fight, especially if they, um, if they believe what you believe. If you're fighting their fight and you're sticking up for what they believe in, they're just going to give you a like, you know? Especially if it's like a hot topic that's doing well and the post is trending. And then, you know, if, it, if it's like, let's say there's a tweet and you don't agree with the tweet, you'll look in the subtweets for, uh, for the clap back to it and just go and like those. You know what I mean? And that's how Twitter works. Like you're just trying to find the people that believe what you believe or are making fun of what you would make fun of. And you're just incentivizing them to keep going. Yeah. It is funny to think about what the platforms incentivize us to do. And I think that's why I'm drawn so much to podcasts because it incentivizes us to think about ideas. Yeah. And to communicate and ask questions. Yes. So going back to Chris Voss, he told you that your success is inevitable and you wrote that down in your bathroom mirror. Yeah, I did write that down in my bathroom mirror. So writing things down is huge. You know, in like, I feel like in our, in the girl world, everyone's always talking about manifestation. Um, but I've talked to a lot of, uh, a lot of men who are entrepreneurs who they always tell me that they've like written stuff down, whether it's like a number, how much they want to make, what they're going to accomplish. They just like write it down, like, you know, in the, in like the shower or like just somewhere where, have you heard that the Jim Carrey story where he writes yeah where he writes 10 million on the check and then he puts it in his pocket and then years later he gets 10 million for like dumb and dumber or something so it's little things like that um and then also a friend of mine told me um because obviously we all have imposter syndrome sometimes or we all like have our own doubts um and my friend told me you know Nicole, you're surrounded by a lot of people who are very accomplished and most people don't have access to. But if they've ever told you something that makes you feel good about yourself, you should write it down and look at it in those moments where you don't feel as good. And so that's why I wrote that one down. So, yeah, and I, I mean, when I read it, I read it in Chris Voss's voice, like I hear it in his voice. And it's very powerful to hear it that way. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And it's just like a little thing. I, I was fascinated when I was doing research for this to hear your perspective on how men are raised versus how women are raised when seeking goals. For example, you were offered $5,000 for an advisor position and you tell to one of your male friends, I got $5,000 offer. And he's like, you're worth 25000 And in that moment, you realize like, oh, wow, like that's kind of the difference between male and female dynamics and I never thought about it like that but it was interesting yeah. to hear your perspective on that yeah um that maybe that was my manager that could have been my manager who said that or my friend but um yeah I mean I think it's true that women probably earn a little less than men 
on the whole. I don't know, but but like, I, I'm not saying that in a way that's like woke and like I'm about to like go out and like protest about it. And I respect people who do that, but I'm all about like personal accountability. And I noticed it with a lot of my female friends, and I was like this too, where I thought a certain amount of money was a lot of money. And then I realized that I need to advocate for more for myself where men will like, they'll, you know, they'll have an inflated sense of what they deserve. And then, you know, they'll ask for that and maybe make a little less than that. Women don't, won't even ask for, you know, that amount. They'll shoot much lower and then just be happy that people even paid them. Not always, but I, I did, I have noticed it a lot. Um, I noticed it with myself too. And until I got a manager, who I think that's, Jeff was the one who probably said that to me, um, where I would tell him like, oh, this company wants to pay me this and that company wants to pay me that. And he's like, oh, you're worth way more than that. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, of course. And he sat down with me and he's like, look, this is what people are getting paid, just so you know. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's how he became my manager. So that was really powerful for me. Talk to me about the insecurity or the imposter syndrome of it, of not believing in yourself. Where does that come from? I think, I don't know where it comes from. I think the, maybe the fact that I feel like so many people are trying to do the same thing. I think the other thing that I noticed with women um, that definitely was prevalent for me for a period of time is that you feel like there's a scarcity of opportunities. And so then you're like, am I gonna get chosen? Especially when you come from like an LA mentality and you're working in entertainment because there are few roles. There are few opportunities to get chosen as a host to go do interviews at a red carpet event or whatever it is. So then your mind is operating in a plane where you don't see that many opportunities. So you're just like, am I even good enough? Because there are so many other people that are amazing. And then you sort of just like shut down. You're like, is this what I should be doing? Should I try something else? Should I be more realistic? Because also your parents want you to be realistic too. They always tell you that like, be realistic be realistic. Um, not all parents say that, but you know, you hear it. And so I think, yeah, it was a combination of me being told to be realistic and, um, and thinking that there are so many other talented people and that if I was competing against them, was I as good as they were? And that's not the way to look at anything because you can create your own lane and do your own thing. I mean, social media has leveled the playing field in a way that we can all become what we want. And I truly believe that because every single friend that I have who is successful has created their own lane and has not gone any traditional route whatsoever. Unless you want to, it's like when you think about college, for example, man, so many people are in so much debt when they didn't even have to go. I hate to say that, but unless you 
unless you really feel like you're studying a particular thing that requires you to go to college and that you can't learn these things online and that you cannot find community and friends in other in other places yeah then you need college if you want to go be a doctor you need college if you if you want to be a lawyer you need the degree you need college yes but for most things you don't you know and so that was another that was another hard one for me to swallow am i off tangent no. good <laughs> you're at, you're you're so on tangent how do what was the moment you realized like oh i've been insecure about these things and now I feel more comfortable with myself or more comfortable with the lane that I've carved out for myself. I think when I started taking action, a lot more action without needing permission from anybody else. Like for example, TikTok I did by myself. Clubhouse I did by myself. Beyond the interview was me. Um, when I was working for other people, I was just sort of taking their direction. Um, the other thing that really changed things for me and why I can make the distinction between the way most, not all women are, um, have patterns of thinking and the way men do is because I started having a lot of male mentors who were so bullish on themselves and so aggressive. And so like, they just had that fire. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to feed myself that. Like, I'm going to call this guy when I feel this way. I'm going to call that guy when I feel that way. I'm going to call Chris Voss when this person's pissing me off, <laughs> you know? And he's going to help me navigate this situation and I'm going to crush it. And I think, I think it's very important for women to, especially in business, to adopt that mentality that so many men have. You see it, you know, in athletes. You see it in rappers. Rap music was huge for me. Like, I'll wake up and listen to a rap song, and I'm like, damn, I'm fired up. What's on your playlist? Nicole? You know? Um, what's on my playlist right now? A lot of Drake, a lot of ASAP Ferg, a lot of a lot of Jay-Z. Jay-Z helped me a lot. Um, anything with a good beat, anything with a little bit of ego. I think healthy ego is good. You know what I mean? I don't... I think... I think you need to feed yourself confidence. You need to feed your ego a little bit where you where you think, damn, I'm good, but not I'm better than somebody else. I think that's the line. It's that you have to think that you're so good at the thing that you're doing, but not that you're better than any other human being. That's really the distinction. I, I like to say I'm the shit, but I'm not shit. Yeah. And exactly. so if you have those two, you can coexist in the world and be both a normal human being, but also believe you could be and achieve great things. Yes, I think to add to that, the combination of having an ego that's healthy and that tells you you're amazing, you're good, you're good at this, keep going. And then at the same time, having the humility to know that you could be better, to know that you could learn more, that you could achieve more, that you could befriend more people, that you could have more mentors, that you can educate yourself in different arenas. I think that's the best combination anybody could have for existing in this world and achieving anything professionally. Because if you watch the greats, you look at Kobe Bryant, he knew he was good, but he kept going. You know what I mean? He never stopped practicing. 
He never stopped bettering himself. I mean, you listen to every interview that he did. It's an, I'm telling you, 100 years from now, people are going to be playing his interviews. Like, that was alpha. It was. <laughs> that. That's great. Um, why are interviews so important to you? Because questions unlock answers. It sounds so simple, but the only way that you can get the answers you need is to ask questions and to also be vulnerable in asking. You know, I think people feel a lot of shame for the problems that they do have. And I think life is all problems. Life is all problems. I feel like every, I mean, every interview I listen to that you do, I mean, you touch on a ton of problems and every guest has a different answer. You know, every guest can solve a different problem. And that's how I look at human beings. They all have different keys to different problems. And so asking questions will help you access those keys. Other, which other, how else would you figure that out? You either learn by your own life experience or someone else's. So if other people are, are, are having different paths than you, then they know something you don't know. So then why don't you ask? Because you're afraid? Like what's going to happen? If anything, they want to share their wisdom. It makes them feel like they have purpose. The fact that you're asking them. You what know? if what if someone says, okay, Nicole, I get it, but you interview people for a living. It's your job to ask questions. How can I take this? I'm in my own life. I, you know, I'm a YouTuber. I don't ask people questions. I don't need to, or I don't want to, or I'm scared of like, what advice would you have for that person? I would say, let's be real. You're doing it anyway in your own life. Every conversation that you have is just you and the other person asking each other questions or statements that, you know, produce their own questions in a way. It's just, you're doing it anyway, whether you're being paid for it or you're doing it on camera. So five years ago, I listened to a podcast you did. Oh my God. I was on a podcast five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so weird because it was March 2018 and the interview, they asked you, what do you, who do you want to be in five years? Oh my God. And so when I heard this two days ago, my, I had like tears in my eyes. Cause, really? Because I was like, holy smokes. Like I was, I'm asking this woman and talking to this woman five years from the day of her answering this question about her five years ago. You want to hear what you said? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so you were asked, who is Nicole five years from today in March 2018? You said, I want to have successfully used my voice and my platform to speak on issues that interest me. I want to have inspired change through my writing, through my questions, and by finding stories that others can relate to. Because that's the only way people can feel less pain in their personal struggles and more inspiration in life. I want to start a movement for kids and teenagers where it becomes cool to be curious and listen to podcasts and read books instead of a world where kids want to do drugs and be pretty and popular. I think we spend way too much time worrying about what other people think of us. I know I did. And now we're trying to unlearn that. Less shame, more vulnerability, more unity. Wow. Dang, you really did your research. Yeah, I mean, I hope I can reach more kids and teenagers. Um, 
I hope that I hope that I can because I don't really know how many I reach now. Mm. But I think younger people are easier to mold. Um, of course, adults, if they want to change, they can. And, and I think a lot of them do. And that's why we see um, a lot more people going to therapy and doing inner child work and, you know, doing all this stuff. But I think young people are more impressionable and it's important to influence them in a positive way before their lives end up in a place where they don't want to be. Um, so that's what that's where that came from. But yeah, I still really want to do that. I think I've I've done it. I, I've done it well. I don't know how far I, I feel like I can influence much more people. But I think that requires me also building an army of people. Like, for example, I do I in a way I want to help with Twitter spaces because I think it can be what Clubhouse was supposed to be. Um, I think social audio is huge. I think live social audio is huge. It's just creators need to be incentivized to use it. You know what I mean? Like right now you see a lot of Web3, NFT, Bitcoin, or like political spaces with Mario or whatever. But it's like the same way. I mean, you, did you see how Nari Mario Nafal got big on Twitter spaces? No. It's because um, he was in... Yeah, so Elon went up in one of his spaces and then in another one and another one. And and every time he went up, there were like 60,000 people in that space and a lot of them ended up following Mario, so it grew his platform. And on Clubhouse, we had the Clubhouse staff boosting people's rooms. So, you know, they would do that for a bunch of us. Like when I had a big space they would, or a big room, with Chris Voss or any other celebrity or author, like the clubhouse staff would come and they would boost my space and we would get more followers and more listeners and all of that. So it's like, you know, in a way that was gamed for Mario. So if I can get to Elon Musk, um, and I feel like at some point I can, uh, I would like to help with Twitter spaces strategy because there are also certain, um, hosts creators that i think would crush it on twitter and i know a lot of them from clubhouse that would be happy to be on social audio it's so much easier video is great but sometimes it's like imagine having a twitter spaces component to this podcast where like in your free time at night you could just be in your sweats and you're just having like a follow-up conversation to a guest that was on like the week before or whatever and everyone's listening live and then you have a bunch of people who are like hey can I come up and ask this question and then they get to interact with them I mean, it's just it's just fun I think it'll work I think we just need to figure out the best way to one incentivize people creators to come on and two, create a calendar that people can look forward to because it's like where do you go to find out what spaces are happening really and what categories they're in it's just not it's not done right it's not it's not ready yet, but you know, it can be worked on. Well, Elon's replying to your tweets now, so you're not that far away. Just two of them. <laughs> it's crazy though. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but it's, it's not like an interactive thing where like I'm talking to him back and forth. It's like, oh, this is funny. Or like, you know, I wrote alcohol is a scam and he's like, well, here's what I think. And also, you know, red wine and, and a tall glass is nice. And I'm just like, I don't know where this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Yeah. But the thing is about 
social audio and the reason why it's difficult for me to get into is because my brain goes too many different places. So like with this conversation, I'm just completely locked in on you. I know like this is where your train of thought is going. With social audio, it feels like me like so chaotic. Okay, but do you listen to other podcasts? Yeah. Okay, so that's almost the same thing, I feel like, except it's live. And also, if you wanted to and you had a relationship with the host, you could go up on stage and talk to them and their guests at the same time. So it's more interactive in that way. Totally. No, I, I understand it. I, yeah. I, I've done it a bunch, but I, the reason why I don't do it more is because it it freaks out my brain for some reason. Like I'm just very in tune with what I'm feeling and I'm just it something about maybe it's because it's new. Maybe it's like a new. Yeah. Maybe way. you need to adapt. <laughs> I mean, look, we, yeah. we weren't listening to podcasts years ago. I know. You know what I mean? Like this, is, our, our brains are changing constantly. But Same. you never had any issue with it. You enjoyed it from the jump from what I understood. I enjoyed it from the jump, but I also needed to figure out ways to make it interesting because there were times that like I had boring shows. Well, like, talk talk to me about what it was like to be co-hosting and not dependent on somebody that you didn't enjoy spending time with. But like, what was that dynamic like when you and Leah were just going back and forth and like you had drama on the side and I was listening to this podcast and I'll link it below. It's like wild like it blew my mind that like people were that public and open about their own struggles they've had with each other that me and her were that open about it yeah i really admired you guys for that yeah thank you for saying that so um leah is a very vulnerable open honest person so i knew when i asked her to do that she would be down with it um and she as a friend has helped me be vulnerable and open i had more of a wall up because she is that way you know what i mean like she you know goes to program and has a therapist and all that stuff um which i've you know i've been in therapy on and off for a while too but there's a level of introspection that's required to be that vulnerable and then to communicate through those types of issues that I don't think I could have done with anybody but her because, I mean, it just wouldn't have led to anything good. She knew how to communicate with me and I, I you know, I used the Chris Voss tools that I had to communicate with her because we were really pitted against each other by a lot of the people on Clubhouse and a lot of the people, some of the people that worked at Clubhouse, unfortunately, you know, like they would choose her for something and not me. And we would feel like separated from each other or like, you know, give her recognition and not me. And it, you know, it's or pay her and not me. They made both of us an offer and then rescinded mine. Why? I don't know. I think the person who gave it to me just didn't like me. Damn. And and that was another problem that I had with with Clubhouse. Uh, the way that they operated, I think, was a little, I hate to say it, but it was just not. They weren't, they weren't thinking right about how to make the app grow and incentivize their best creators. They were, like, picking favorites. And everybody, all the creators felt that way. You know, and her and I actually navigated it really well 
because nobody knew that we had beef at all. We were so, we we would literally get into arguments behind the scenes and then put on a hell of a show with like I don't know cumulative like sixty thousand listeners over four hours. You know what I mean? It's God. like it's like we really 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 were exceptional at working together, um, but we didn't know how to handle. Uh, like the competition and the things that people would say to us about each other and like were we friends or were we not friends but at the end of the day it just came to communicating and we prioritized that and uh and yeah I was very lucky to learn that with her but how does that mess with your brain if you don't like somebody it's almost like an actor almost or an actor yeah that's, that's what I'm saying we were really good actresses <laughs> but it it did mess with my brain because I just wanted really wholesome happy friendships and so the fact that my friendship with her wasn't that at the time was hard and I'm sure it was hard for her because remember that scarcity mentality thing that I was telling you about I'm sure that's way harder for that was way harder for her because to be in entertainment the way that she was to be a comedian for every four uh, male comics on a stage there's like one female comic so in her mind like I'm sure it was like oh am I competing against her are we competing for the same role how do I you know how do we navigate this and so she it was crazy on a zoom call where she was just like oh I feel jealous and I'm like I've never had anybody say that to me I couldn't even believe she was so vulnerable and open about that because I would feel shame about feeling jealousy and then I would never admit that to someone. And so the fact that she was able to communicate things like that really helped me navigate my own emotions. Like, okay, what am I feeling? Okay, how do we move through this emotion? How do we accomplish things together? How do we be good friends to each other? And so it did mess with our brain, but that's why I'm so bullish on communication and learning how to communicate and not being an asshole and having empathy for the other person and being curious about their experience. Like I was really curious about her experience of me and how she felt about me or like if I ever made her feel left out of something, you know what I mean? And she was the same with me. Like we, there was one night we, we were like on zoom for six hours crying. Just about this whole situation. The, about the whole situation. God. Yeah. What was that like? Really hard. Really hard because we had to be so honest with each other about how we felt and things that were said and how to navigate moving forward and you know what would we do with other if other people tried to provoke us and what had I said about her and what had she said about me and um yeah, that was that was really really difficult. But it was also especially difficult. I don't know if you've you listened to this part on, on the podcast that she called me talking about her on the Zoom. I had left the Zoom on and I was telling someone else on on the phone that I was planning on distancing myself from her. And I get a text from her saying, hey, this is making me uncomfortable. And I'm like, what is making you uncomfortable? And she's like, I'm still on Zoom. And I'm like, I just like, it was the worst feeling. My heart dropped immediately. And I'm just, the green light wasn't even on. Like, like I felt horrible because it's not like I was trying to like 
talk shit or or be a bad friend or anything. I genuinely didn't know how to handle anything with her. So I was like, I think I'm just going to distance myself from her. And she heard that and she said something. And so we had to do a clubhouse room right after that. So we acted like we were friends, stayed on the Zoom for four hours, did one hell of a show and then got off, stayed on Zoom for six hours and had to talk it through after she heard me say that about her. But if she didn't hear me say that about her, I would have just distanced myself from her and we would have never been friends. So it was interesting that that happened and that she was willing to talk about it and I was willing to talk about it and explain why I felt that way. It sounds like, you know, the struggle of the relationship like brought you closer in a way. Yeah, it did. But that's the that's the thing. Conflict can bring you closer if both sides are curious about each other and communicate respectfully. Mm. That's that's what people don't realize. Conflicts aren't bad things. They can bring you closer. They can teach you a lot about yourself. Um, it's an invitation to be curious about what the other side prioritizes, what's important to them. And so I've learned not to run from conflict, I think, because of that. And obviously with the help of like Chris Voss, you know, it can be exciting. It can lead you to something better. It can help you navigate your life. Um, yeah, conflict doesn't ha have to mean this like aggressive head-to-head -head fight. It can literally just be you being curious about someone else and their thinking patterns and what's important to them and then reevaluating what is it that you want? What are you really fighting for? What is it the thing? What is the thing that's making you upset or angry or hurt or feel discarded or whatever it is? You know what I mean? And that's why everything for me always just goes back to curiosity. What advice would you have for somebody who's dealing with conflict in their own life with somebody that they haven't spoke to and that they want to resolve the conflict with? What type of question should they lead with? And what types of ways of being should they think about when they are reaching out to the person? Um, first of all, I think I think people should try to be as light energy-wise as possible when handling conflict because most people are also afraid of it. So if you can go into it, for example, if it's your friends or your parents, by being like, hey, um, I want to talk about this and also do it either over the phone or in person because voice is everything if you do it over text it's don't ever have a an argument or conflict over text don't break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend over Ooh, text. worst so that's the first thing and then two don't make it about yourself because the problem is don't think of it as your problem you have to think about what does the other side want too so when you go into it start by asking about them. What do they want? How are you feeling? Um, you know, there's definitely t some tension, but tell me like where you're experiencing it. And then I'll, you know, I'll get into mine because I'm curious, your experience is obviously different than mine. You know, you're having an entirely different experience than I am. What's that like? Um, something that I noticed you did, which is a Chris Voss tactic is, it sounds like, 
You know what I mean? Like you, you can label someone else's emotions and they'll either confirm that they feel that way or they'll push back and be like, well, no, actually, they'll correct you. And giving a person an opportunity to correct you is a gift to them too. You know, and then you make them feel heard. You repeat back to them. This is another one I learned from him. Empathy is not just understanding someone else's point of view. Tactical empathy, as defined by Chris Voss, is repeating back what someone has said to them so they know that you heard them. You know, so if someone is like, I feel like you're not paying attention to me at all and you don't give a shit. So you go, you feel that I'm not paying attention to you at all and that I don't give a shit. And you just stay silent. And the other person just gets that you've gotten it and they'll feel comfortable. They'll keep talking. They'll be encouraged to go on. And that's good. You want the other side to express as much to you that they feel. Everything. And that's just what open communication is. And it's not that scary. You know? And then you express to them what you want. This is what I want. This is what I expect in my friendships. These are my boundaries. These are, Or if it's your parents, these are my boundaries. Please, please don't cross them. It hurts my feelings when you do this. It does not make me inf- feel encouraged when you do this. I know you're trying to be helpful and you want you know, me to feel this way, but the way that I feel this way is if you do this, this, and this. That's actually more helpful. So I totally appreciate that, but here's the way to do that for me. It's very simple. It's like a dance. But if you learn how to communicate, I think you can achieve whatever you want. You learn how to ask for things from people. You can, you can talk to someone in a very high position of power and connect to them and they find you endearing and they want to help you. I mean, you know how that is. Like, it's everything. Hasn't, don't you feel like com- learning how to communicate has been the number one thing for you? Most important. It's the most important thing. And it's from talking to so many people, do you find out what you actually value and what you care about? Yep. I had no idea what I actually cared about or what I valued prior to asking questions to 300 of the world's smartest people. Okay, what do you value? So for me, it's parenting is something that comes up again and again. And it's like, why parenting? Well, parenting speaks to how we're raising the next generation of people. It raises to the most formative experiences. I don't, I'm, I don't have a girlfriend, but I'm like, why am I asking myself about parenting? So it forces you to ask yourself, I care a lot about content, like where the world is going and content represents like being able to carve your own future. Mm. Care a lot about love, like how people are dealing with love in their own day-to-day life and how people are feeling love for themselves. And I didn't know that all that about myself before doing this. So it's cool to get to know yourself more from just doing and communicating more which I think you can get through creating YouTube videos. I think you can get from tweeting. If you really are honest about writing, like I think you can find these things through a consistent action, but you have to ask yourself questions constantly and you have to keep showing up for yourself even when you might not want to. That's so true. That is so true. The parenting thing hits really hard for me because, because I think, and I'm sure you've heard this, I think I, I, the last podcast episode I listened to you, of yours, 
there was this like content creator who was talking about how he owes everything to his parents and the way that he was raised. And a lot of people, it's funny, they either have an experience where their parents are the reason that they feel they're successful or the reason they felt like they weren't. And then they learned how to carve their own path by learning self-love and all those things. But the reason parenting is so important to me is because that's the voice that's the first voice in your head totally so it's like any anybody who's ever felt like shame or embarrassment or constantly worries about what other people are thinking no that is taught to them or you see those young kids that blossom nicely and they have they're super confident and happy and expressive it's because their parents allowed them to be that in the home it's like a flower that the parents watered with love yes instead of being like you go out into the world and you be this and you do this and you marry this type of person and you need to accomplish this and then you're worthy of love you know what i mean like that's the message that most kids get i have this question that i ask every single person on my podcast and the question is should i ask it to you here go for it okay because i have my answer to it but I want to hear yours and then I'll give you my answer. So the question is, um, it's a hypothetical scenario that sort of helps you put in order what message is most important to you and what message you feel like needs to be most urgently shared with the world. Because there's so many, like think of, think of how many that you've extracted from other people and that you've realized you'd want to share. How do you choose the most important one? Here's the scenario. So, you're at the Oscars and you win an award for, let's say, a documentary about podcasting. You go up to the stage, you thank everyone, your last guest, Turner Novak and me, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sri Ram, um, your parents, everyone that you love. And then there's that 45 seconds to about a minute where you could say whatever you want. Um, and then they play that music to let you know you need to wrap it up. So what are you going to say in that 45 seconds that is so important to you that you feel like it needs to be shared with the world right now? What message is so important that you're going to share it in that 45 seconds and there's going to be headlines and it's going to be shared as a clip on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube shorts. It's going to be everywhere. Just based on that. 45 seconds for me it's about listening to yourself because anything i can say in this moment won't change someone's perspective but them coming to conclusions and understandings about themselves will i changed my life when i started meditating 20 seconds every day or 20 minutes every day rather gotta practice a speech <laughs> and when i really started to listen to myself all the answers started to come and things popped up that i didn't know were there and you can change your life too with 20 minutes of meditation every single day. I'm going to start medica meditating more again. Yeah. And the crazy thing is like, I knew that I started meditating three and a half years ago, changed my life. And I, there were periods when I stopped and started and stopped. And it was only when like I was talking to my friend Dalma, who you should connect with or meet. Oh, I love her. I, we've, yeah. had, we've, we've hung out. Yeah. There you go. Um, and I was, she was, I was on her podcast and I was like, oh wow, like I talk about how much meditation changed my life. I need to start meditating again. 
So I've been doing that for the past 60, 70 days. It's like, it's so nice. Just to have time with yourself. You learn so much and I'm so grateful for it. So that's what I would tell people at the Oscars. But tell me, what, w- what would you say? So this has been my answer for, I think, almost a year now. It might change later. I don't know. But I would say, and it would be directly to parents, I would say, let your kid be themselves and you just love them throughout that. And whatever whatever they want to do, unless it's dangerous, you let them experiment with it and you let them learn what they love and learn what they hate and go through life and make their mistakes and you can help guide them, but you can never shame them. You should never shame them. They're just human beings. They're trying to learn just like you're trying to learn just like you still don't know the answers and they're even younger versions of you. So all you can do is give them love and let them know that they have a home to go back to and that they have someone to talk to and someone to celebrate with and someone to cry to. And that's their home and that's what you've made for them. But, you know, being the type of parent that's telling them what to say or telling them who to be or telling them what profession that they need to go after or what type of person they need to marry or whatever. It's like, that's not your business. They're going to figure that out on their own. They don't know who they are. How do you know who they are? They don't know who they are. That's a discovery process. So let them discover it and you just love them throughout. That's what I'd say. So beautiful. And we'll chop it up and hopefully we'll we'll (laughs) put it on Instagram. Hopefully it'll get more views than the Oscars. (laughs) That's really a beautiful message. And I, I wish more parents understood that, knew that, heard it and internalized it for you was was it that way did you feel love from your parents I felt love from my parents um and where I am at now in my life I feel like they are they are like that type of parent that I'm describing I think when I was younger um and I know a lot of the people that I grew up with feel this way is that they wanted you to be society wanted you to be a very particular person you know with a certain type of job and a certain type of marriage and kids by this age and doing that by that age and I know a lot of people who did things by the book and you know got married very young and some of them are happy but a lot of them are not they needed to discover themselves first or they've gotten divorced or which is fine it's that's People go through that and they find love again. I'm just saying there was even shame for a lot of people when it came to divorce, when there shouldn't have been. I mean, it's just a breakup on paper, you know? Um, So yeah, when I was younger, I felt like I did need to be a pharmacist or something. But, uh, But yeah, I quickly found my path and my parents became more and more supportive later, but they didn't know I don't think any, our generation of parents have the tools that we have now. You know what I mean? Like you mean like all of the world's information? Yeah, kid. yeah, exactly. Or like, or like, I feel like we learn so much from these like Instagram pages about therapy and inner child work and uh, and how to communicate. And it's like our parents didn't have those tools; they just had emotions and reacted to them. Or they're just like, do this, don't do that. It's like they just there was no guidebook there was no manual but 
I think that's what's happening now with the internet is that it's every interview is a manual. Every piece of content is a manual. And if you really sit there and you listen to it, you can take notes and figure out steps that you should be taking that will lead you to the life that you want. Because for every problem that you have, it's not unique. There are other people who have had it as alone as you feel. And I think people should, and they are, I think what what will help manufacture hope is if more people shared their stories and go out, if you have a problem, go out and look for those stories. Go out and look for the people who have achieved what you wanted to, who have had the struggles that you have had um, and who have triumphed beyond measure. One of the one things, one of the things that um, I see a lot of people struggling with and sharing and being more vulnerable about is mental health. A lot of people struggle with mental health. And when you talk to them and you ask them, what's the hardest part? They'll say, I feel shame about it. I don't want to share it. It's very stigmatized. Uh, and then they say, you know, I, they've been to a therapist or something and, or, this, or a psychiatrist and that that person has told them, you will survive this. And anytime I hear someone who has a mental health problem tell me that they've been told that, I think, wow, how debilitating. You will survive this. It's like most of the time that person doesn't even want to survive that thing. The picture that you paint for someone isn't that they should, they're going to survive something. It's that they're going to triumph beyond the survival phase and be happy and live a fulfilling life and have loved ones around them and be celebrating things and have people to hug and talk to and cry to when things go wrong. And if you're painting any other picture for people, I think you're doing them a big disservice, you know, in the, in, in the mental health industry particularly, to, be, to tell someone, oh, you'll survive this you'll survive this. It's like even the wording is so powerful. So for everyone who's going through something, whether it's mental health or physical health or um, a family problem or any problem, you can find people who have had similar struggles and are fucking killing it at life. And those are the people that you need to put in your vision. And those are the people you need to be listening to and taking advice from. And you can manufacture your own hope that way because the alternative is really depressing. And that's where people go. That's where people get it wrong is they find someone who's like, eh, you'll survive this or eh, you can't have a mediocre attitude about life. You got to find someone who has been to rock bottom and is killing it. And that's, that's, that should be your standard. And most people don't know that they have the power to just shift their head a little bit and find somebody else, find somebody else to look up to. And I, you know, I know I did that with my mentors um, and my friends. I had a lot of friends who were happy with the bare minimum, or I would actually say they weren't even happy. They were just like, okay. And then so I felt okay because they just weren't vibing. So I found friends who are happier and vibing with life and 
you know, they liked cool activities and they liked to read and they were curious. And then I started surrounding myself with those people and then authors and then, I don't know, people in tech that I, I didn't even understand what was going on in that field two years ago, you know? Now I'm like a crypto person. I mean, it's just because I find these people and I'll, I'll attach myself to them and I'll, you know, even in, in the NFT space, I came in and I'm like, I am not an expert. I'm asking questions. And that was my whole thing the whole time. It's still my thing. That's how you become an expert. That's asking how. questions. Yeah, that's it. It's funny because it's like the more perspectives you can gain, the more wisdom you have. Yeah. And so when you say like, just look at if you're not resonating with your friends or the people around you, find different perspectives. Yeah. It's so important because I don't think I was trained to think like that. And it's like the more, pers the reason why old people are are wiser, generally speaking, is because they just have more perspectives. Yeah. And they've seen it more. But with the internet, you can actually create those perspectives and see them for yourselves by looking at all the interviews, yeah. by reading all the books, by listening to all the podcasts. You can create perspectives. And every time you do that, it's not necessarily procrastinating or it it is feeding your psychology what you want to become. Yeah. Um, another thing... I heard it might have been like Gene Simmons who said this where he was like I don't have to get shot by a gun to know that I might not like it you know and it's the same with experiences you don't have to go through every experience to get the knowledge you can ask other people about their lives you can listen to their life stories you can read autobiographies you can watch movies and extract knowledge from that. So don't think that you need to learn everything by yourself. The answers are there. It's like you're just widening your, your perspectives and you don't need to go through it yourself to do that. So I love the way that you put that. Thank you. Well, I'm so grateful for you and your time today. I like to end these podcasts with a challenge for people. Okay. And I asked the guests for a challenge based on everything we spoke about or something we haven't to leave some action step for the person listening, something that they should do in the next part of their day or tomorrow to put themselves forward. What's a challenge we can leave people with? Okay. I used to do this when I was younger and I started doing it again. And I think it's really powerful. We touched on it a little bit is writing things down. And so I think words are the most powerful things. Song lyrics, quotes, excerpts from books, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that fires you up, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph or whatever, write it out and just like tape it to your wall, tape it to your bathroom mirror, tape it somewhere where you see it, your car. You know what I mean? And seeing the same thing over and over again, it won't bore you. It'll fire you up. And I have, when I was younger, I felt very alone. Maybe this is good advice for younger people too, but I felt very alone in the sense that like, I felt like my parents didn't understand my emotions. You know, they were, they were like immigrants and they didn't understand, you know, my issues with my friends or if I had a crush on someone or like how to navigate these emotions. Um, but I felt like, I, I felt like authors did, 
And so I would read books and I would write down little quotes on index cards and I would tape them all over my room. And before I would go to sleep, I would read them. And it just made me feel better. Words make you feel better. So I would say start reading whatever resonates with you. Write it down, even if it's like a quote from Instagram. If it's something that changes your mood, write it down so that you're always looking at it. So you always know how to change your perspective or think about something differently or, you know, have insight into something that you might not have thought of. So my answer is words. I love that so much. And that's why in my Oscar speech, I talked about listening to yourself because a lot of people don't realize when they are having the aha moment of like, this is making me feel something. And if you can get better at that process of when you read something or consume something or listen to a podcast and it changes your state in some way, you can get better at that skill of knowing what it's actually affecting you at a deep level. You do that by listening to yourself. But if you don't want to listen to yourself, fine, but try to start thinking about the times when you are excited about an idea or something that really like lights you up. What? How did you learn to start listening to yourself? Was it through meditation? So for me, it was a friend of mine had, I noticed he was different. Like I noticed he was acting with more love. I noticed he was acting with more kindness. He was tweeting in, in ways that were different than everyone else. And I was like, why? And he had been meditating for a long time. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what it is. And I started doing 20 minutes in the morning and it's like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. 90 days later, I was at a red light. I noticed my body get tense. I noticed like, what the fuck's going on? And then I was like, oh, I can change this. And oh, I can only change this because I've been meditating for the last 90 days. And I, I only noticed it because I was meditating, but it happened every single time I'd been at a red light of like, why isn't this screen? Like, let's go. But, <laughs> but then I just felt peace and could change that. Uh, so yeah, it was when I, when I noticed that, I was like, ah, this actually works. But if you had asked me the 90 days prior, I'd be like, no, it definitely doesn't. Okay. And then my other question is, because you do listen to yourself. Is there any like repetitive message that you get where you're like, I need to listen to this or like, I need to follow this dream or I need to be doing this more or is that, you know what I mean? So one message that I've programmed into myself a lot is I love myself. And I wrote that down over and over and over and over again after reading Kamal Ravikant's book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends. Oh my God, he's a friend of mine. I love him. Yeah, same. It's incredible that he went, I went from reading the book in March of 2020, depressed, to having him on the podcast in October of 2020. And me being able to tell him like, dude, like this actually changed my life and look like, look at all these podcasts I've done because of you. And so it's cool to call him a friend as well. And the voice in my head just so often just says, I love myself. And it's like, I'll be going to sleep and I'll be like, I love myself. I love myself over and over. It is such a great book and it's so true. I've programmed that into myself. I've never thought that before. And it just goes to show like you, whatever you are programming yourself right now, like with, with the music you're listening to, you ever like listen to a song over and over again? All the time. And then like you'll hear the lyrics when you're in the shower or when you're going to bed or when you wake up? All the time. 
It's like we are program pro- programming ourselves constantly. And you're programming yourself by listening to this podcast right now. And so good on you. Like this if you made it to this point in the episode, like you're trying to get it in life. And so give yourself a pat on the back if you're listening right now, breaking the fourth wall here. Rarely do that. Right. It's like it must be said because I leave this conversation with you so inspired, so feeling of like, oh wow, I'm ready to get it, you know? And I think you have that energy and it's clearly, because it seems like it wasn't always that way. It's clearly like you've programmed yourself to be this way, which is even more remarkable. So hats yeah, off to you. Thank you. I mean, I'm so inspired by you. Like you really dig deep with these questions and like went and listened to, you know, whatever you listen to, to get, you know, to get like quotes for me and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I do that too, but I feel like you, you went a little deeper, which I appreciate and I love. Like I didn't, I didn't remember that I said that five years ago. It's cool. It's cool when you're reminded of a previous version of yourself. Yes. Where should we send people to connect with you further? Um, Nicole Benham. I think I've changed all my handles to that. N-I-C-O-L-E-B-E-H. And like Nancy, A-M like Mary. (laughs) And we will link that down below. Thank you so much, Nicole. You're a true inspiration. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Everything you're doing is amazing. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.